I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. Welcome to Strange and Sinister, where we talk about true crime, psychology, <laughs> conspiracies. Once I start laughing, I can't stop. It's, it's like, like a, a sickness. <laughs> conspiracy theories, mysteries, and all things spooky and weird. I really can't. It's Something's wrong with me where once I start laughing, I literally cannot stop. I'm sorry. It's because our last episode was kind of silly, so... That's true. I'm in the giggly mood. Now we're lighthearted. <laughs> no, but now we're going to have to get a little more serious, because this is not an easy case. Oh, gosh. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, today, though, we're doing our first case suggestion. Oh! Yeah, this case was suggested by my sister-in-law, Sonia. Okay, and Sonia, she, shout out. Yes, she's a big supporter of our podcast. Oh! Hey, Sonia. Yeah, she listens to every episode, and she suggested this case because it's a really big case where she's from in Spain. Ooh. And it took place in the same city that she worked in and actually met my brother in Sevilla, Spain. Oh, my God. Yeah. Aww. They both worked in Sevilla for many years, and my brother, I think, kind of may have lived in Sevilla briefly. Cute. But my sister commuted from another city. And this case is a very big case in Spain. Very high profile. Oh, I wonder if I've heard of it. So thank you, Sonia, for suggesting this case because I'd never heard of it. And it's definitely a frustrating case at times. Very infuriating. And there's a lot, of, lot to unpack. So I hope I do it justice. I'm sure you will. My main source for this episode is a Spanish documentary called Donde Esta Marta, or Where is Marta? And the documentary is dubbed in English, and it's a really good documentary. It's a very informative um, documentary, and I don't usually use, I'm going to say documentary, <laughs> like a hundred times. But its I usually don't use documentaries in my research because you never know if they're going to be biased or skewed. But this one is very factual. It did a really good job at laying down the timeline and the facts. So I really recommend it, actually. If you are really intrigued by this case and want to learn more, like, we're going to go into a lot of stuff, but there's a lot more that they talk about in the documentary that I didn't include here. And it's a three-parter. There's three episodes. Whoa, I'll have to watch it. So forgive me, there's a lot of Spanish. I'm pretty confident going into it, but I can't even talk English most of the time, so. It's okay. I couldn't say corrugated in the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> I read it, and I went, cool. I gotta look it up. <laughs> Today, we are discussing the case of Marta del Castillo Casanueva. Well, I don't know this one. It's a murder case. Oh, no. Yeah, and it's solved. Okay. But her body has never been found. And But there's just a ton of evidence that surrounds her disappearance. There's a lot of mystery. It's been 14 years since she disappeared. Aww. And, like, starting to read this case, I thought it was going to be really open and shut because it is solved. But there is so much to this case. And there's also just... A very strong likelihood that there are people involved who were never convicted for this crime. I feel like that happens whenever I research a case too. I'm like, this is gonna be like a real easy research. Like it seems open and shut. Like I'll be able to like put a great timeline together really easily. No, 
never happens. It was so, even with the documentary as a guideline, it was so hard to organize this case. Because, mm-hmm. and I only have so many resources because this case is a Spanish case. Most of it was covered in Spain, so I didn't have access to a lot of articles. I translated some, but it's not like I could go looking for specific information. I just kind of had to translate articles and hope for the best. Yeah. It's really interesting doing it that way. Marta del Castillo Casanueva was born on July 19, 1991 in Sevilla, Spain. Her father's name is Antonio del Castillo, and her mother's name is Eva Casanueva. Pretty. Yeah. And Sevilla, Americans might know it as Seville, but in Spain they know it as the city of Sevilla, and it's this really beautiful city in the very south of Spain. And Spain's a really cool country. I've actually been there once, and it's the only time I've traveled anywhere, and I was actually about an hour outside of Sevilla. That's where I visited. Oh, I've never been outside of the country except for Canada. All right, so that's, that's cool. Really I've never neat. been to Canada. <laughs> it's pretty much the same. Spain is so different. I want to go to Europe so bad. Yeah, I just, like, Europe is incredible because it's just so rich in culture and mm-hmm. history and art. Right. That you just don't have here in America. We're so it's industrialized. Yeah. It's not as fun, right? So on Saturday, January 24th, 2009, Marta was 17. And she woke up and it was a day like any other. That day she wanted to hang out with some friends and enjoy her weekend. She didn't have absolute set in stone plans, but she did intend to see several of her friends that day. Maybe go shopping or go hang out and... Just to familiarize yourself with the culture of Spain, at least from my experience with it, um, there is a lot of history to these cities, which is something we obviously don't have in America. Actually, you know what my favorite thing about Spain is? What? They have lemon-flavored Fanta. We don't have that? No. I've looked everywhere, because when I went there, I drank so much lemon Fanta, I, like, (laughs) became lemon Fanta. I was obsessed with it. Uh And when I came back to the States... It's just, it's not here. They have pineapple Fanta. Oh, that's probably what I'm thinking of. I'm like, there's a yellow one, I know. Yeah, it's pineapple, not lemon. It should be lemon. That would be better. We're weird with our flavors here. I've noticed. Everything's just so strong. Yes. Like Doritos. I can eat like five of them and I'm like, (laughs) oh my god. So at some point in the day, Marta let her mother know that she would actually be meeting a boy named Miguel Carcano Delgado. And her mother, Eva, was a little shocked by her daughter saying this. Miguel and her daughter had been dating, but they'd previously broken up. He was 19 years old and Marta was 17 at this time. And they'd met because Marta was in school with his niece and he struck an interest in Marta and they started dating. But he was very controlling and very jealous and just wasn't good for Marta. And she had a good head on her shoulders, so she knew she deserved better. So she'd ended the relationship with him. And they'd gone out for about a month and a half, I think. I don't know exactly the time frame. Um, But Marta still had feelings for him. She was still wrapped up and really liking him, despite this behavior from him. 
So they made plans to hang out that day, and when her mother asked her why, she said she had to talk to him and clear some things up. This, of course, was concerning for Eva, but she wasn't just going to forbid her daughter from seeing him. The vibe I've gotten from hearing her parents and friends speak is Marta and her parents had really good communication, really good trust built between them. And Eva had talked to her daughter about Miguel's behavior towards her because she herself recognized these red flags uh, with Miguel for a potentially abusive relationship. And Marta recognized those things too. And she wasn't okay with it. It's what led to their breakup. Marta, while getting ready, was messaging a friend named Sylvia Fernandez, and she ended their chat by sending a message that translates to, I leave you because Miguel is downstairs and I'm going to talk to him. I'll call you later and tell you about it. Love you. Please don't tell me that's the last text that she sent. It is. No. As she was leaving, and this is around 5.30 p.m., her mother told Marta, let me know how it goes when you get home. And Marta agreed. She told her mother she'd see her later, but her mother would never see her again. And Marta's father, Antonio, arrived home just as he saw Marta and Miguel on the street outside their home. They were standing by Miguel's motorcycle, and he told Marta then that he didn't want Marta on the back of that motorcycle. Oh, man. And I respect her parents a lot. I love how they nurture and care for Marta while also letting her make her own decisions and trusting her. Marta seems like she was very respectful of her parents, and she had a good shoulder. A good shoulder? A good, good head shoulder on her, on her shoulder. Head. <laughs> uh, shoulders for being 17. Oh, that's great. And Marta always kept in contact with her family. She would always call and check in multiple times when she was out. She'd let her parents know her plans and where she'd be. But this day, after she said goodbye to her mother and father, they didn't hear from her. And... As the hours went on and it began to get late, they became worried and they began to call her. But every call would go to voicemail. Oh, that is so sad. I hate that. So sad. Really scary. Her parents knew something was wrong. They could feel it in their gut. And her sister, Lorena, remembers thinking that night that something had happened to her sister. She had that gut feeling and she thought she was never going to see her sister again. The sudden no contact was that alarming to them. It was extremely unlike Marta. That's so sad. I just, I just know that gut feeling where you're just like, oh my gosh, something awful has happened and I physically can't do anything about it. You know, like I just can't. It's so awful. So they called again and again. And later on, Eva, the mother would start writing down everything that happened this night. And the weeks and months that followed. Yes, really smart um, what she did. Like, she would write down times, phone calls, who got in contact with who and when, where they went, when they contacted the police. Like, everything she wrote down. And they showed it in the documentary, like, really detailed notes that she was taking about everything that happened. That's crazy. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's genius. Yes. And if it weren't for Marta's parents and her family and friends acting on their gut that night, I think we would know a lot less of what happened to Marta. And it's really sad that it took so much effort on our family's part. Like, a family should never have to be put through that. 
right. and definitely shouldn't have to do any investigating or any of that but right. sadly they had to do a lot oh come on so that night at around 10:30 p.m eva began calling friends of marta first she called marta's friend christian bazo that's the american pronunciation of that name but i'm not sure how to say it in spanish so he knew that marta had been with miguel that day at the square and that she'd left with him on his motorcycle and he became really concerned too because he knew marta was always obedient to her parents and wouldn't do anything to make them worry she wasn't the type to stay out all night and not talk to her parents Next, Eva called a boy named Samuel Benitez. Samuel is one of Miguel's closest friends, and on the phone with him, there was loud, loud music going on in the background. Literally like he was at a club or a party or something, and Eva even made note of that um, in the documentary, that that's what it sounded like. And she tells Samuel that they can't get in touch with Marta, but they know she was with Miguel that day they don't know Miguel's number and can't contact him themselves and she asked him if he knew anything. Samuel said he didn't know much but was able to share that he talked to Miguel. He knew that he'd been with Marta that day and he told Eva that Marta was with Miguel until about 12 o'clock midnight. Damn. But immediately there's alarm bells going off because it wasn't midnight yet. <gasps> this phone call happened at around 11:30. Oh, shit. Dude, how you fucked that up that bad? Like, already? Damn. Eva called another friend named Alejandra Portillo because she was really close friends with Marta and knew Miguel. Alejandra didn't know anything, but she was extremely concerned for Marta. So after getting the off the phone with Eva, Alejandra immediately called Miguel, who didn't answer. So she called Samuel, who said he didn't know anything about Miguel, pretty much said what he told Eva. After that, she called another friend who was in this friend group named Cuco. It's not his real name. It's a nickname, but his real name is very similar to another person in this case. So we'll just call him Cuco for this episode. He was another close friend of Miguel. So Miguel, Cuco, and Samuel were pretty much a trio. I don't think Alejandra and Christian were super close to them. They were mainly friends with Marta, and they just knew each other through mutual friend groups and them being the same age. Gotcha. We got to start doing, like, graphs or something. Right? There's so many people in this case, so I'm sorry. So if you have any questions, just ask. I I can, like, re-clarify. Alejandra noticed that Cuco sounded very drunk. Cuco is 15, by the way. He was in a loud, noisy place. He says that he hasn't seen Miguel or heard from Miguel. This was strange to Alejandra because she knew that Miguel, Samuel, and Cuco were always together. They were really, really good friends. Oh, boy. But they're saying they haven't seen Miguel. So at about 11.30, Antonio, Marta's father, went to the Macarena hospital to see if by some chance something had happened some sort of accident or anything involving marta maybe she was there he thought maybe she'd gone on the motorcycle there was an accident she was too scared to call um just in case she'd be in trouble for it but he just wanted to know if marta was okay so he checks the hospital 
the hospital refused to give Antonio any information. Oh, okay. Marta's a minor. Yeah, like, especially if, like, you have your ID and you're like, no, I'm really her father. Yeah. Like, you give me any information, especially because she's a minor. That's so not okay. Right? They couldn't even tell him if she was there or not. I understand, like, HIPAA stuff where, like, you're not supposed to give out patient details. Yeah, but you can tell a parent if their child who is 17 years old has been admitted that night to the hospital. Oh, yeah. If it's a minor, I don't think it... No. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah, it's really shocking to me that they wouldn't talk to Antonio about anything. So Antonio just had to go home. And then Eva asked if he would go to Miguel's place to see if Marta was there or if anything was going on there. And they knew him to be living at a place called Leon 13 on the ground floor of that building. So at about 12.45 a.m., Antonio went to the apartment. Uh, The entrance is gated, so he couldn't get inside. Um, And he could see that one light was on in one of the apartments. So he went to the window and knocked on it. Um, The TV was also playing in the room. And a person answered, and he asked if Miguel lived there, and he said no, he lived next door. That apartment was completely dark. The blinds were shut, and he knocked on Miguel's apartment, and no one answered. So Eva was finally able to get a hold of Miguel, and Eva tells Miguel she hasn't heard from Marta. She knows she was with them, and Miguel tells Eva that he left Marta by the glassware shop at around 9.30 and then hung up. What? This glassware shop he's referring to is pretty close to where Marta lives, like a couple blocks away. But it's already conflicting information because Samuel said that Marta was with Miguel until midnight. And he's saying he left her at this glassware shop at 930. But it wasn't even midnight when she called. Right? Oh, God. I know these people just. Oh, God. Yeah, and it's now, like, 1 a.m. And when Eva heard that, she remembers this anger going through her, like a flood of emotions, fear. She was enraged, and she knew Miguel wasn't telling her the truth. So she called Miguel back and told him, If my daughter doesn't come home, know that I have family in the Civil Guard, and they'll be all over you. Slay! You better let him know, bitch. All Miguel said was okay and hung up. What an asshole. Yes. So while this is happening, Christian and Alejandra were also searching for Marta. Alejandra, in her pajamas, grabbed a coat and had her mom drive her into the city so that they could look for Marta. Oh, what a great friend. Yes. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, Alejandra's mother described how cold and stormy it was that night. And they truly didn't even know where to begin when they got into the city. But they drove through the city shouting for Marta, thinking by some chance maybe she got lost or disoriented. Maybe there was an accident. She'd fallen, like anything. And yeah, what amazing friends that she had. Um, Alejandra was searching with her mother, and then there was Christian, his father, and another friend also searching. That is so amazing. What nice friends. I hope my friends would do that for me. I would search for you. (laughs) Would you search for me? Yes. I'd search for you too. So Christian describes that his group first went to Miguel's. And just like Antonio saw that it was dark, the blinds were shut. At 2.10, 
a.m., Antonio, the father, went to the police station to file a missing persons report. The police told Antonio that she was probably with friends or at a sleepover. God, I hate that. Yes. Why? Why? Why does this happen? Yeah, right? Why? There's no point. You don't think a parent knows their own child better than you? Right? Dude, especially when the friends are, like, out looking, too. Yeah. You're like, no, I literally contacted all of her friends already. She's not there. Yeah. Antonio was really upset by this response. And he still filed the report with them, but he couldn't do much more since they weren't willing to take immediate action. So after leaving the station, he went and looked more for Marta. Anywhere he could think of. Clubs, just anywhere where there were people gathered to ask them if they'd seen Marta. Um, So they were all out at this point. Marta's friends, Marta's family, and they were all in contact with each other and looking everywhere. Asking everywhere about Marta. No help from the police. And they were all really concerned and scared. And they were also trying to contact Miguel again at this time and he actually for some reason had multiple phones multiple phone numbers i don't of course he did know why but Dude, he did he probably was running drugs or something maybe that's I drug don't know. phone and he was but he wasn't answering anyone oh he was wrapped up in some crazy shit if he had more than one phone right that's so like and i actually never got clarity to that but he did have multiple phones Eventually, Samuel, Miguel's closest friend, joined the search much later. I don't have, like, an exact time with knowing when this happened, but I would say at the earliest it was 3 a.m. and at the latest around 4 a.m. That's weird. Uh, Samuel met up with them at the Plaza del Altozano, and he wasn't very well dressed either. Like, it was really cold and rainy that night, and he was wearing this really thin sweater, and he was, like, soaking wet. Okay. And Alejandra was kind of sus about this. So she asked him where he'd been. And Samuel answered, I was running. You were running? You were running. (laughs) Did you not, like, what? Didn't he, um, when he picked up the phone, there was loud music? Yes. And that was around 1130. Oh, okay. Yeah. That Eva had called him. And then shortly after, Alejandra had called Samuel and he told them the same thing and also that Marta was with Miguel till midnight when it wasn't even midnight yet all right you were not running sir and then where were you this whole time knowing that Marta's missing and not showing up randomly decided to join the search at 4 a.m in the morning or some something that's suspicious it is a little it's suspicious so uh, Alejandra's mother, Susana, was eventually able to call Miguel's brother, who was named Francisco Javier. Francisco Javier stated that he wanted to help but wasn't comfortable giving his brother's number out. Which is fair, but also someone's missing, so. Wait, I'm so sorry. Who's his brother again? Francisco Javier. No, who's who's his oh, brother? Miguel. Oh, Miguel. This is Miguel's. <laughs> Older brother. Much older brother. He's an adult. I don't know how old he is, but he's a lot older than the others. Okay. Interesting. Okay. He told Susanna not to worry that he would reach out to his brother and get back to her. He called back several minutes later and told them what they already knew, that Miguel had left Marta by the glassware shop. Following this conversation, they went back and looked in the area where Miguel lived, and he lived at Leon 13 with Francisco Javier, his brother. 
and they saw that Miguel's motorcycle was parked outside the apartment now. This is about 5.15 a.m. Yeah, they'd been searching all night for Marta. I can't imagine how tired they were physically, but also emotionally. Just oh, for I being know. so worried all night. That's so sad. So they all went to the apartment. They buzz in. Miguel's brother answered and opened the door for them to come into the gate. So Eva and Antonio, along with Alejandra's mother and Christian's father, are the ones to actually go into the apartment. The adults. That's smart. Yeah. Alejandra describes in the documentary, though, how bad she wanted to go into that apartment and search for Marta, though. Aww. So they all go into the apartment. Miguel comes out of his room with his head down, and he's not talking. So they ask him, where is Marta? He doesn't answer them. His brother speaks for him, and he says he left her at the glassware shop. Shut up. Miguel didn't talk to them, and they couldn't get any more information out of them, so they left. But leaving the house, they all noticed one very concerning detail. The house had smelled strongly of bleach. Fuck. Ugh. Yes. How old is Miguel? 19. Sorry, I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, you did say that. I just forgot. So Antonio, after this, learning this new information, went back to the police to file another report that now included Miguel Carcano. And he told the police that she'd gone out with Miguel that evening. He gave uh, the police his address at Leon 13, as well as any phone numbers he knew were associated with Miguel. And the police said they would not do anything until Monday, the next day. Why? Don't know. I think they still think she's a runaway or something. Even though this house smells like bleach and that's where she last was known to be. Oh, man. We (laughs) cover a lot of cases in which the police do a great job. Right? This is not one of them. It is not. It is not. It takes a little longer for them to finally get their asses in gear, but... So later that day, at around 1 o'clock, it's Sunday, January 25th, Marta has been missing for over 15 hours. Antonio was out probably searching for his daughter since police weren't. When he saw a police car parked, he went up to the car and talked to the officer and asked him if he was looking for a missing girl showing him a photo of Marta. The officer said they didn't know anything about a missing girl. Oh my god! Really, you're going to do that? You're not even going to tell... Yeah. Any of the other officers? Wow. That's horrible. Yes. Absolutely awful police work. Marta is not the girl who goes out and parties for a few days and then comes back to her parents. She is in constant contact with her parents. When she goes out, she calls them every few hours. Aw, that's actually really sweet. Yes. So also on Sunday, Marta's uncle and two friends went back to Miguel's apartment again. The friends pointed out that Francisco Javier's car was there. They buzzed in again and again, and there was no answer. So they actually buzzed into another apartment and told them that his niece was missing. The uncle said, my niece is missing. I'm here to talk to Miguel Carcano. Will you let me in? And they opened the door for him, and the uncle talked to this neighbor more. The neighbors said that they'd seen him, and it was weird to them because it was that early morning, and he had had a wheelchair with them outside the apartment a wheelchair yes that's really weird okay so he went to the door of miguel and his brother's place and began banging on the door 
and the uncle hadn't met either Miguel or Francisco Javier, so he didn't even know who it was that answered, but a guy opened the door very aggressively and asked what the hell is going on. This was the brother of Miguel, and Marta's uncle identified himself, said he was there because Marta was missing, and Francisco Javier completely changed his attitude. Like, completely calmed down. Of course, don't make yourself look like a dick when you're already suspicious, right? Like, dude, of course, you would change your attitude. Yeah. So he let only uncle into the apartment, closed the doors on the friends that came with him. And he said to the uncle that Miguel had left Marta at the door of her apartment. Changing the Why story. Why are you changing your story? Right? And Miguel didn't know anything else. His brother said that after he'd gone to Camas, which is an area within the city of Sevilla. So Marta's uncle immediately went to Eva, his sister, and told her everything he just learned from going to Miguel's. It's really infuriating to me that this family is having to do their own investigating and their own questioning. Yeah, like, dude, that's not their job. Their job is to leave it to the police and they should be doing this shit. That's so infuriating. So after this, Antonio went to the police again uh, with Marta's uncle. And it was 1.30 p.m. that they made their third report. Gosh, three times you need to go to the police. Yeah. And when they get there, it's not even over yet. You're going to get pissed off again. When they get there, it seems like the police have them hold on because apparently it's during shift change when they go to police. So the officer literally informs them that it's bad timing. Oh, my God. Yeah, this uh, this missing child's an inconvenience to you. I'm so sorry. I'm literally so sorry that you can't do your job. Wow. I'm sorry, you're supposed to be off at 1.30. My bad. <laughs> no. You got to clock out. Yeah, and the uncle said in this documentary, this is a quote of the translation, of course, not prioritizing cases like this shows a complete lack of sensitivity. Oh, absolutely. 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 That's it's, so sick. Yeah, it's ridiculous. You're like, it's it's not like when you're working at the coffee shop, your shift ends at 1.30, you clock out and someone walks in and you're like, oh, I'm off. Like, I'm not going to help you. Right? Like, no, dude. Like, that's your entire job is to, like, have compassion for people. Like, why the fuck are you not doing your job? Exactly. So that evening, around 7 p.m., it's Sunday, some of her family, I know it was at least the uncle, decided to sit and stake out Miguel's apartment. Oh my god, they're doing their entire investigation for them. Yeah, they wanted to see if anything else shady was happening at that apartment. And finally, the police decide to show up. I guess now that people are like, hey, these people are staking out this apartment, they're like, oh, maybe now we should go do our jobs. Jesus. So an officer comes out, he identifies himself as part of the homicide division, and he shares that starting the following day, the Child Protection Division would get involved. I don't know why they weren't involved already. That's weird that they had homicide there at first. Right? Yeah, okay. I don't know. So the officer tells the uncle that he will start the investigation and go inside and talk to Miguel. And the brothers weren't there, actually. There was another person in the apartment. And her name is Maria Garcia Mendaro, and she's dating Francisco Javier. 
Maria told the detective that she didn't know anything and had no knowledge of Marta being at the house that day. She told the officer that she'd been at the apartment the entire night of the 24th studying for an exam and had left the house the following morning at around 8.30 or 9 a.m. The detective asked her if, she, if he was allowed to look around and she let him. The officer noticed that the house smelled clean and the detective tried to reach out to Miguel and his brother by phone, but neither of them would answer. Uh. Uh. Wow. It's been 17 hours, roughly, since Marta disappeared. It is the standard in Spain for investigators that they take immediate action when a child is missing. Oh, God. But, like, why would you not do your job? It doesn't it, make yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't understand. Police were finally able to contact Miguel and bring him in for questioning, and they learned that Miguel didn't actually live at this apartment with his brother anymore, at least not full-time. He'd actually recently moved to Camas to live with his girlfriend. Sorry, his girlfriend's family, because his girlfriend was 14 years old. <gasps> ew! Yeah, ew. What the hell? Dude, this dude is all kinds of gross. Yeah. What the fuck? His girlfriend is 14 years old, and her name is Rocio. This is what Miguel's first statement to police is, and he will change his story many, many times. Like, seven times officially. Maybe more. <laughs> dude, the amount of red flags that this motherfucker has right? is so crazy. Yeah. So according to Miguel's first statement to police, at 5.30 p.m., Miguel picked up Marta at her home, and at about 6.10, they went to a square and met up with some, of, some friends of his, and this included uh, their friend, Cuco. After this, they went on his motorcycle to an embroidery class at 8.20. Marta had told her mother about doing this earlier in the day, and then at about 9.10, they went to his place at Leon 13 before dropping her off at a glassware shop at about 9.35. Okay. He said that he left her there, that she was safe, and after that, he went to Kamas, where he lived with his girlfriend and her family, and he arrived there by 10.20. The, uh, he told the police that the first he'd heard of Marta going missing was at 12.10 a.m. Samuel had called him. And he told Samuel he didn't know where Marta was, that she was safe when he'd left her, and then proceeded to go to bed. Okay. Wait. This is your friend who is missing, and you're just going to go to sleep after someone calls you at midnight saying, this girl you left at 9.30 is missing. You were the last to see her, and you're just going to go to sleep. Yeah, what? Yeah. Especially because he was the last to see her, you'd think. Yeah. He would do something. Yeah. Miguel told police that he received a call from Eva at around 1 a.m. and shortly after she'd called again. And he explained to police that on the second call, Eva was more upset. What she was, she was angry and scared because of your total disregard for her daughter when she was missing. So the documentary actually includes phone conversations that I guess were bugged throughout the investigation. Whoa. Most of them are between Miguel and his brother. And I couldn't find a lot more clarity to this in English, so I don't know much about that part of the investigation, but, like, all their phones were bugged. That's pretty crazy. Right? 
And from a phone call from Miguel to his brother, Francisco Javier, this is what's said. Francisco Javier told Miguel that a witness had placed Miguel in the hallway by the door outside their Leon 13 apartment at around 1 a.m. So he asked Miguel, and I interpret this as, hey, this is what this witness says, so what's your story? He asks Miguel if he'd gotten an alibi and asked Miguel if he was in Camas at 1 a.m. And Miguel said, yes, of course. Were you, though, Miguel? Were you really? No. Doesn't sound like it. Now, the wheelchair was at Leon 13 apartment. So when the police interviewed Francisco Javier, they asked if they could come in and collect the wheelchair at his home, as there were witnesses placing Miguel with that wheelchair. And he agreed. So forensics went to the apartment, collected the wheelchair. Why is his brother helping him? That is so weird. Okay. Another neighbor at the Leon 13 did confirm that they saw Marta outside the Leon 13 apartment at around 9.30 p.m. She was opening the door to the apartment when they said hi to each other. This is the time that Miguel's saying he dropped her off somewhere else entirely. But this neighbor is saying she saw Marta at the apartment. And she knows for a fact it was 9.30 because that's when her favorite TV show started or something random. Oh my gosh. So that's a pretty reliable witness placing Marta outside Leon 13 at 9.30. Yeah. On January 27th at around 4 p.m. in the afternoon, Miguel called his brother saying that the media was now reaching out to him for a statement. And Francisco Javier told him not to contact them. He told Miguel about the neighbor's witness statement that this witness had been on TV announcing to the public that Amarta was entering their apartment at 9.30. And his brother told him not to talk to anyone. He said, do I make myself clear? Do not talk to anyone. Why the fuck? Oh, my. okay. What? Oh, my God. Why is the brother helping? That's right? so weird, especially because he's so much older. Why are you protecting your brother after you, like, probably know for a fact he did something really bad? Yeah. So the police are stepping up in the investigation, finally. But Antonio acknowledged in the documentary that he wa- he needed there to be more pressure on the police. Because he knew if the community stopped caring and stopped putting pressure on the police, the police might not be as diligent in investigating what happened to Marta. So Antonio was in the media, like, doing interviews, like, advocating for Marta to, like, keep her name alive and make sure the police were doing their jobs. Yeah, well, and Mar- as he shouldn't have to do. Yeah, he shouldn't have to do that, but he, he kind of had to. And Marta's name was everywhere now. Like, she was all over the news. She was all anybody was talking about. And the father made a really good point in the documentary. He said, if you don't push them, they don't do anything. So true. It is true. A lot of cases go cold. And it's because no one's really out there. The media is not advocating for them. The community's not. And police do not focus on cases if they're not being pushed. It's true. It really is. The documentary definitely went deeper into the politics of the case and everything going on with the police and the media and the family at this time. And it wasn't like it never is easy 
but I'm not gonna really go into those things much. I'm gonna kind of stick to the timeline because there's already so much to this case. But that was definitely going on during this time. And on the 27th of January, the same day that Miguel had asked Francisco Javier about talking to the media, Francisco Javier made a pretty shocking phone call to Miguel. He told Miguel, today was your sister-in-law's turn. So I think he's referring to his ex-wife. They'd interviewed Francisco Javier's ex-wife. Uh, Francisco Javier said, they wanted to know about you and me in case I'm a bad guy covering for you. It's okay, though. The poor girl doesn't know anything. So what is she going to tell them? She doesn't have a fucking clue. I swear to fucking God. Sometimes I'd like to be less clever, kiddo. But I knew this was going to be a big deal. Fuck me. Don't talk to anyone, especially the journalists, the fuckers. What? Yeah. Dude, what the hell? Yeah. This phone conversation pretty much solidifies my theory on what happens which we will get into. That is so weird. Okay. Yes. On January 30th, so it's been six days since Marta went missing, the apartment at Leon 13 was searched again, but no evidence was found from the search, and forensics noted just how clean this apartment appeared, but they did collect samples for DNA. And later that evening, well, still the same day, it was on the 31st now because it was just after midnight, Francisco Javier placed a call to his girlfriend, Maria. She was the one who said she was at the apartment all night. He just found out that police were going to also search his car. And his girlfriend, Maria, asked him why. And he said he had no idea. Maybe they thought him and his brother had moved Marta's body with the car. Why would you even think that? If yeah, why would do you that? even think that? There was an interview during this time. There was lots of interviews with Marta's friends, family, like anyone involved in the case. Um, but one that stuck out to me was one with Samuel. And he was interviewed and asked to describe Miguel. And he described him as very loving and kind and a good person with a good heart. He could be rebellious, but he was good. And when he was asked if Miguel had helped with the search for Marta, he said no. That's, that doesn't really that's sound like a good person with a good, good person. Heart. On February 5th, Miguel went in for another interview with police that lasted hours. And following this interview, his brother called him in the very early morning of the 6th. Miguel told his brother that the police had tried to scare him, that they were hard on him to the point that he cried and they threatened to put him in jail for three days. Police told him that they now believed that Marta was dead and he did it. And the police told him if he came clean, they could help him. And Francisco Javier interrupted him and said, you can't confess to something you haven't done. Miguel said the police believed that Miguel was lying and that Francisco Javier was covering for him. Francisco Javier told him that everything they were doing to Miguel was psychological. And he told his brother They've gone too far, and they were no longer going to cooperate with police, that they were going to get lawyers. On February 13th, Francisco Javier received a call from his lawyer saying that he had a bad feeling about that day something was happening in the investigation. The police called Francisco Javier later that day and told him that his brother had been arrested. Oh, shit. It turns out the investigators had talked to the family of Miguel's girlfriend and got a hold of some pretty strong evidence against Miguel. 
So Rocio, Miguel's girlfriend, had informed the police that she'd seen blood on Miguel's clothes the night of the murder. So police went to Miguel's girlfriend's parents, Rocio's parents, and asked them if they could provide the clothes that Miguel was wearing the night Marta disappeared. And they agreed. They handed over the clothes. That was on February 4th. And by the 13th, uh, through forensics, they identified the blood as Marta's. Oh, shit. Why did they... Wait. Why did the girlfriend... Why did the girlfriend's parents have his clothes? Well, he was living there. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. That w- Yeah, that is... <laughs> that's a good question. That was the evidence they needed to arrest Miguel and charge him with the murder of Marta. So that day, they interviewed him again, and when police told Miguel the evidence they now had against him, Miguel broke down and confessed to killing Marta. He explained that him and Marta had gotten into an argument because of his relationship with Rocio, and Marta was giving him an ultimatum that if he wanted to continue to see her, that he needed to leave Rocio, or she was going to tell her that Miguel was also seeing her. Miguel then hit her with an ashtray. This ashtray has never been found, but he hit her on the left side of her head around the parietal bone, and he said she fell over, and when he went to check on her, she was dead. Okay, sure. In the documentary, they even show the video footage of when he told the story at the Leon 13. He told he like showed the police in the apartment what had happened. And the way he acts in this video, in these videos, actually, is odd. He's very nonchalant and very emotionless, as if he's just describing something very normal or... You know? I hate that. I don't understand. I will never understand that. Describing, like, one of the most, like, heinous crimes ever. And you're just like, oh, yeah. Like, then I put my laundry away. You know? Like, yes. Like, it's nothing. It's sick. It's weird. It is really sick. Following this incident, he went outside and used a payphone to call his friend, Samuel. He explained to him what happened and asked him to help move the body. Samuel agreed. While he waited, he sat with Marta and cried about what he'd just done. Boo-hoo. What? What? Would you, if your friend called you and was like, hey, I just killed someone. Can you please help me move this body? What? Like, would you do that? I just don't think I would. Oh, no. <laughs> Samuel came to the apartment, helped him, and they took Marta by motorcycle. So Miguel was driving. This is what Miguel's saying. Miguel was driving, Samuel was on the back, and Marta was between them. What the fuck? Yeah, what? That's literally what my notes say, caps. What the fuck? That's so weird. <laughs> so they took her to a spot called Charco de la Pava in the city and dumped her in the Guadalquivir River. I don't know if that's how I say it, but I said it with confidence, so. True. When they interviewed Samuel, he said that he was in Matequito, which is just another part of Sevilla, when Miguel had called him to come help, and he'd come over to find Marta on the floor, dead, covered in blood. Miguel asked for his help in cleaning up and disposing of Marta. They took her on motorcycle and dumped her at the bridge on the river. I don't know if she'd be covered in blood if you just hit her in the head. Yeah. The family and friends of Marta felt very betrayed by Samuel because he knew the entire time what had happened to Marta and he had not said anything and he was searching for her he was in the media raising awareness for 
Marta and advocating for her, and he could have come forward to the police immediately, according to these statements. That is so fucking sick and twisted. Oh, my God. So we have a confession, but I don't. I didn't buy the motorcycle story. No. Many people did not because that just doesn't make sense that two people could be on a motorcycle, a small motorcycle, with a dead body between them. Samuel would have had to hold Marta himself, and that just doesn't Try not to fall up. off. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Dead. Like, that's like, I don't know how much she weighed, but like, when you're deceased your body weighs like a lot more yeah because it's just like all weight yeah so there's just no way so my thought was if he were to include the motorcycle like why was he including the motorcycle i'm thinking miguel's protecting somebody else with the car interesting oh yeah because if you think if francisco Javier was involved, or he used that car, or Francisco, Javier's girlfriend's car, or anything. He could be protecting that third person. And that's why he's saying they transported uh, Marta on the motorcycle. Yeah, because remember when Francisco told him that they were going to check his car? Right. Mm -hmm. They searched the river and did various tests as well to see what a body would likely do if it was thrown in the river at that bridge. But Marta was never found. And it is possible if that part of the story is true that uh, Marta was carried out farther to the sea or her body, there's like mud at the bottom of the river. Her body could have just been under the mud and never found her body would never be found in the river on february 14th miguel changed his story and i think it was because no one was buying his story about the motorcycle so he told the police that he had not taken marta on the motorcycle but in a car instead and the driver of the car was his 15 year old friend cuco i just don't understand why he's not including his brother in any of these scenarios that's weird to me so Cuco was the youngest in the friend group, and he really looked up to Samuel and Miguel, and he really emulated them, and he was also known to have a huge crush on Marta. Like, oh. very big crush. He really liked her. Miguel knew this. Marta did. Marta had even told her mom at some point that Cuco was crushing on Marta. So the police interviewed Cuco, and this is what he said. He arrived with Samuel to the Leon 13 apartment. When they got there, Miguel was wrapping Marta's body up in a blanket, and his brother, Francisco Javier, was there too. Cuco says that Francisco Javier threatened Cuco so that he would help and be silent about what he was witnessing and not report it. And Cuco went with Samuel and Miguel to dispose of the body. So he's the first to include Francisco Javier in these events. Which is kind of an important detail. I believe that. Saying that. While Cuco was being held, he was able to call his mother, Rosalia. Cuco, in this phone call, (laughs) immediately calls his mother and says, I was thinking, did you say you were going to throw away all the knives? What the fuck? His mother answered Cuco and said, This isn't something we talk about over the phone. What? 
And Kuko's like, no, listen. And his mom's like, no, you listen. They're listening. And poor Kuko doesn't have a fucking clue. He's like, what? And his mom says, like in the movies, as if she doesn't just want to flat out say. They bug the phone. Yeah. yeah. Well, this it's not even about being a phone being bugged. He's in the police station. Like, they're all recorded. Like, oh, that should be common yeah. sense. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and Kuko says, I don't understand. And his mom says, they tap the phones. Do you understand? Everything we say is recorded by police. And he just says, I didn't know. You should have told me, mom. What an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> what an idiot. Did you throw away all the knives? Yeah. Why would you call your mom and ask her that? Right? Is the mom involved? Oh. God, what the fuck? Okay. She's at least trying to protect her son. Yeah, right? They interviewed Francisco Javier, and he said he was at home that evening when Miguel had come home around 8.30 with Marta. So he left to give them space. He went after this to another house where his ex-wife arrived not long after him, and he stayed till around 11.30. I'd be pissed as his girlfriend that he's hanging yeah. out with his ex-wife. He has a daughter with oh. his ex-wife, so I guess that was it. But it's kind of a weird time to go see your daughter and see, ex-wife. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I should have thrown that in there in that sentence. It feels kind of alibi to me, though. Yeah. Saying that he went to his ex-wife to see his daughter. Then Maria, his girlfriend, picked him up and took him to a bar and dropped him off. And Maria went to his apartment at Leon 13, where she stayed the rest of the night, and he stayed at the bar until 3 a.m. Then went to another bar before getting home at around 4 a.m., and then went straight to bed. That's his story. Yeah, fucking right, dude. Yeah, you did that, sure. Yeah. Police were really sus of his story, and Kuko had also placed him there at the apartment to help with the cleanup, so they arrested Francisco Javier, too. Thank God, finally. Took you long enough. <laughs> the police made the announcement after three weeks that they solved the case of Marta del Castillo. However, this wouldn't really last for long. Because on March 18th, Miguel asked police if he could recant his previous statement and story of events from the night of Marta's m- murder and give a new statement. Why? He told the police that he'd given the previous statement under pressure. This time, Miguel said that he wasn't the one to murder Marta, that it was Cuco. Dude, what? Miguel had a... I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I just think it's so ridiculous. I can't believe how ridiculous it is how many times Miguel changes his story and just how... How many people he's just throwing under the bus. Yeah. I mean, even though those people were most definitely involved... They are all involved somehow, allegedly, because they were never convicted. Spoiler. What the fuck? One person's convicted in this crime. That's it. Interesting. I bet. One? Yes. One person. We'll get there. Wait. Just kidding. Two. Sorry. I bet you I know who they are. Uh, I don't think you do. You'll be kind of surprised, actually. Okay. So Miguel had apparently been in the living room doing drugs while Cuco was in the bedroom with Marta. Girl. And when he'd come in, Kuko had restrained Marta with her hands behind her back on the floor of the bedroom and was choking her with a cable. What? To death. Choked her to death with a cable. Miguel then called Samuel to come so they could help Kuko dispose of the body. See, but here's the thing. 
in both of these, there's no blood. How the fuck they that does she get blood? Where's the blood that went on her his I shirt? I think there could have been blood in the first statement because he hit her with the ashtray. Her head could have bled from that. I think. Okay. I don't know if sure. I necessarily included that, but I think that's kind of implied. Implied, maybe, or it could fit, maybe. Okay. Maybe. I guess. But I don't know strangulation. I don't think there's really like blood everywhere like they said yeah so since this new statement is happening right after Cuco had come forward with his statement placing Francisco Javier at the apartment and that he'd helped clean up with the helped clean up the crimes many theorize and so do I that Miguel made this statement accusing Cuco to get back at him for including his brother in the events oh probably yeah so the police, after hearing this new statement, went back to Cuco and Samuel to see their reactions or see what their story, what they would say about this new story. Cuco and Samuel were now stating that they had zero involvement in the murder or the disposal of Marta. What? You can't. What? Yeah, you can't just. What? You can't just be like, no, yeah, this is what happened. We were there. And then be like, no, yeah. actually, no, we weren't. Just kidding. On March 19th, Miguel recanted his statement again and wished to make a new third statement about the events of that night. Dude, just shut up already. Yeah, it gets worse. There's more. This time, he said that him, Cuco, and Marta were hanging out doing drugs, smoking, and drinking at the Leon 13 apartment. And trigger warning for sexual assault. He said that initially he said that Cuco raped Marta and did all of this on his own. But the police were questioning Miguel during this new statement. Like, how did Cuco do all of this on his own? So later in the statement, he would say that it was both him and Cuco doing this. So in the end, his statement was at around midnight, the boys tried to initiate sex with Marta. And when she refused, they beat her and took her to the bedroom they threatened her with a knife, and Miguel raped her, and afterwards, Cuco raped her. After, they tied her to the bed, and Miguel punched Marta, and then Miguel and Cuco strangled Marta together. They put her body in two trash bags and onto the wheelchair wheelchair, sorry, and disposed of Marta in a dumpster, and Cuco disposed of the knife in the sewer. Okay. Suddenly leaping into like new that is territory. Like way different than before. But I kind of it I feel like we're getting closer to the truth. Maybe and maybe not. In some ways, yes, in some ways not. Okay. The police don't believe that Miguel's telling the truth, but they do think there's some truth in his statement. For a few reasons. This knife had been found in the sewer outside the apartment. Okay. And I don't know if this this knife could have to do with the conversation Kuko had with his mother. Possibly the documentary doesn't really explain that exactly because in the end, we don't actually know what version is the truth, if any of them are, Mm -hmm. which is really upsetting. That is really upsetting. But this is the first time the wheelchair was involved. True. They had also, police, had found Marta's blood and Kuko and Miguel's DNA in the bedroom. Also, DNA of Marta and Miguel were found on the wheelchair, and a neighbor had seen Miguel returning with the wheelchair to the apartment that night, too. 
Samuel and his brother, Miguel's brother, Francisco Javier, were not involved in this version of the story, and he also included at this time that he'd not told his girlfriend, Rocio, anything, but she'd already come forward with a statement to police saying Miguel had talked to her about the crime. Okay. <laughs> so following the statement, they searched the landfill, but unfortunately, between the time that Marta's body would have been dumped to when Miguel made a... S- story of events 65,000 tons of trash had already been dumped into that landfill they searched for over a month and had no success of finding marta in the landfill and they also had checked the dumpster and found no evidence of dna or a body having been in it police believed that his statement about dumping marta in a dumpster was likely false but they also believed that miguel had added rape to the story in order to have a bench trial rather than a trial by jury And a bench trial means that it's entirely up to the judge. There is no jury. That wouldn't happen if he didn't rape her? Sex crimes in Spain do not get a jury, actually. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't... Maybe they do now, but at that time, they They didn't get a jury. Interesting. Okay. And this is... they Police think Miguel did this because everybody in... Everybody in Sevilla knew about this case and hated Miguel. He was the most hated man in Spain right now. He's so my host, most hated man right? right now. So they think Miguel was doing this to give himself a better chance at the trial. Ew. This would be just another version of events that Miguel would tell. No one knows to this day if Marta had been raped before her death because her body hasn't been found. And some things that Miguel has said have proven to be true, but some things he's said have also proven to be entirely false. And him saying that has an agenda, so it's possible it was just an element to the story that he added for his benefit. So Miguel's lawyer actually quit after this. I would, too. (laughs) Yeah. And it was hard for him to get another lawyer because he was so hated. Another one refused to represent him, but eventually he was given a public defender. Yeah. And Miguel was described by many people, including friends of Marta, to be a pathological liar. Alejandra told a story in the documentary of how Miguel had told her that his mother had died in a car accident, but Alejandra learned that his mother had used a wheelchair and died of an illness. The same wheelchair, yes. He also... Apparently, I was wondering how he got that wheelchair. Yeah, they had it in the home. I was going like, to say, you don't just like, have a wheelchair on hand. Yeah. He also had anchor issues. For example, he would punch things whenever anything went wrong, anything negative. He would just punch things. That's such a red flag. Yes, like, it is. In anyone. Yeah. If you get mad and you're immediate reaction is to punch things run very far away apparently miguel while in jail awaiting his trial did attempt suicide by hanging but they were able to get to him in time and he did not succeed in his attempt but apparently was close call on uh, april 14th 2009 Emily just did a giant eye roll, by the way, my, to that. Oh, my God. My eyes just rolled to the back of my head. Like, re- like, come on. Really? 
On April 14, 2009, Maria Garcia Mandaro was arrested. She's the girlfriend of Francisco Javier. According to her statement, she'd gotten home at 11.30 and never left after that. That she'd stayed in her room and not seen or talked to anyone. And police were extremely suspicious because Marta was murdered at the apartment that night. Maybe it was before she got home, but Miguel and whoever else probably would have still been cleaning up everything in that time. Yeah, that's very true. And she wouldn't have been alone at the apartment whatsoever. Witnesses had placed Miguel at home with the wheelchair after Maria got home. Plus, Antonio had been to the apartments, was banging on the windows, so there's no way she didn't hear someone outside her apartment banging on their windows if she was there all night. Yeah, she would have heard something. There's another recording of a conversation between Francisco Javier and his ex-wife while he was being detained. She asked him, does the other one come? And she's referring to his new girlfriend. And he answered no. She asked him why Maria was lying. And when Javier asked what about, she asked, why did they say she was there at 1.30 a.m.? And Francisco Javier pretends to have no idea what she's talking about. And she eventually says that Antonio was there. The family was there. Why didn't she answer? And Francisco Javier said, don't believe everything you hear. Why is he acting like the goddamn, like, Riddler up in here? Yeah. Like, everything he says yes. is so, like, cryptic. And, like, he's, like, speaking in riddles. Yeah, this dude's the fucking Riddler. What the hell? And his ex is like, why wouldn't you want to know if she's lying? If you're innocent, don't you want to know what's ha- what happened to? No, because he told her everything. Yeah. If she wasn't involved anyway, she already spilled the tea. He already spilled all the tea to her. Yes. Maria, however, was pretty quickly released. Because apparently she's the daughter of some pretty important politician. God damn it. For Spain. Yeah. So it's very possible that Maria was either involved in the cleanup of the crime or she at least knew about it because she was there all night. I don't understand how you could be there all night and not know. I'm definitely betting on that she knew everything. Yeah. Francisco Javier was also released because there really wasn't enough evidence to continue to hold him, but it's highly believed that he was the mastermind or at least behind the cleanup of the murder. But there just wasn't the evidence. And Francisco Javier seems to be pretty smart. He's hardly changed his story. He kind of did in the beginning because he told the family originally about the glassware shop and then he switched it to Miguel left Marta at her apartment, at the door of her apartment. But other than that, he's stayed straight to his story, zero involvement. No, he sounds like he's the mastermind behind the entire operation. And when Miguel, sorry, and when Francisco Javier was released, he made a public statement saying that Miguel had always lied about his involvement in the crime and that he had also been lied to by Miguel. Okay. And I will briefly, but I hate Francisco Javier. I think he's involved definitely, but to play devil's advocate because he's never been found guilty for the crime, Francisco Javier is in the documentary. He doesn't show himself. In fact, he's always kept his identity 
and what he looks like completely hidden. Nobody really knows what he looks like. There are pictures of him, but he's always in sunglasses, a mask, and a hat, so no one's seen him. And even in the footage of the trial, like, it's so grainy, only the people in the courtroom knows what he looks like. That's suspicious. Yes. Well, I mean, I guess if you're, like, one of the most hated people in Spain, you would keep your identity a secret. True. In an interview he did, uh, pretty shortly after he was released, he said that he would always claim his innocence, that there is no evidence that I've committed any crime. I've had nothing to do with the murder or the disappearance of a body or covering up anything of any kind. I would do anything to prove that I'm telling the truth. If there is a so-called truth serum, I would have no problem taking it. If hypnosis work, I would try it too. I want the truth to be known. Of course he's saying that because yeah. he was released. Yes. And they told him there's no evidence for him. So, of course, he's going to be like, I am innocent. You can't hold me. There's nothing that you can do. Because that's what they told him. The Del Castillo family doesn't believe or does believe Francisco Javier is involved with what happened. Yeah, to I do, too. <laughs> so Samuel was released the following December. They not let him out earlier because they suspected that he could be involved in covering up the crime. And they were worried that he may try to get rid of any evidence yet to be discovered, which I don't know why they wouldn't have held Francisco Javier for the same reason. But right. He was at the apartment the entire time. I guess, I guess the only reason is because Samuel did admit at some point to being part of the crime and Francisco Javier never admitted to changing his story. Yeah. Cuco was the only one that was underage. He was 15, so he was being held in a juvenile detention center and he stayed there until his trial. He had a separate trial from the others because he was 15. Makes sense. So on March 13th, 2010, during the pre-trial, Rocio spoke. She said that Miguel had told her he had gone to his Leon 13 apartment to solve a problem with his brother and to clean up evidence. When she was asked what it was, he told her, or when she asked Miguel what what the evidence was, he told her a pool of blood. He then told her that he'd been with Marta at the apartment, apartment when they started arguing. Francisco Javier came out of his room and also argued with Marta because of how she was talking back to Miguel. She says Miguel picked up an ashtray and hit her. She fell to the floor and both the brothers began to hit her. Rocio asked Miguel what they did and he said they got rid of her. Rocio also asked where Marta was. I think she was a bit in shock. She didn't want to believe any of it so she asked him where she was and Miguel actually took her to an area in Camas and pointed out an area. And based off this statement, they did go and search the area she was referring to. And the family was there during the search. It's really sad to hear them talk about it because they all knew Marta was dead at that point. They just wanted to find her so they could finally bury her. Yeah. Uh, Finding body so they could give it a proper burial was something that was incredibly important to this family and they were really hopeful rocio's statement seemed to make a lot of sense and the location miguel told her about marta made sense it all just seemed like it could be the version of the story that could give them some answers but it unfortunately does sound true yes but there's no knife true 
But unfortunately, they got nowhere with this search and did not find Marta. And the knife, nothing ever really is known about the knife. They don't know what role the knife plays in the story because no one knows the real story of what happened. No one's come forward and said it, and it's not able to be proven. That's so weird. Because Miguel is such a liar. Yeah, right. I did read somewhere that Rocio had made another statement to police earlier in the timeline where she named another location that Miguel had told her they dumped Marta. I don't know if this was her changing her story or if Miguel had changed his story too multiple times to her and told her different locations. But I'm just blown away at how many times people have changed their statements in this case. Yeah, wow. I've never heard so many people change their stories. Yeah, so there many are times. so many versions of this story. And Rocio claims that she was threatened at some point during the investigation after she'd first talked to police. She identifies the voice that threatened her on the phone as Miguel's brother, Francisco Javier. A week before this pretrial, when she'd made this statement, Rocio was sued by Francisco Javier for perjury. And in this tr- uh, pretrial, she denied now that she believed it was Francisco Javier involved and had admitted to lying to police. Dude. Right after you were threatened and sued. Of course he's, like, trying to cover his ass. Like, he's trying to intimidate her. Like- yes. After this statement, she also had a panic attack as she was leaving and passing Miguel on her way out. That to me, because she's only 14, I think she was scared and I think she must have been threatened by Francisco Javier. And that's why she would leave Francisco Javier out of her final statements about what happened. Because now two people have implemented Francisco Javier. Cuco did. And after that, he got immediately accused of the murder and then accused for being involved with Miguel in raping raping and murdering Marta. And he was also threatened, too, he says. These people are fucking crazy. Yes. Miguel denied to make any statement at this pretrial, and the judge did ask if he'd tell them where Marta's body is, and his answer while looking down and refusing to look up was, I don't know. Shut the fuck up. So, there was two trials for the murder of Marta del Castillo, like I said, because Cuco was a minor, he had his own trial, and they believed Cuco to be a main perpetrator, that he possibly took part in the rape of Marta, if there was one, and the concealment of Marta's death. So, we'll discuss Cuco's trial, because it happened first. Uh, The prosecution was asking for six years and three years probation. Samuel was called to testify in court, but he refused to testify. Like, literally in court, there's video footage of this. The judge asked if he would testify, and Samuel said, I'm not testifying. Francisco Javier was also called to testify, and in court, he said, on behalf of the advice of his lawyers, he would not answer any questions. That's so suspicious. Miguel was called to testify. They informed him. They informed him that he did not have to testify to anything that might hurt his trial. And when they asked him if he wanted to testify, he also said no. Cuco had been charged with rape, murder, and crime against moral integrity, which 
That charge was because March's body had been dumped and she'd not been given a proper funeral. And Kuko pled innocent to all these charges. In court, the prosecution asked if he would tell them where March's body was. They asked him why he wouldn't want to help bring justice to Marta and give her family closure. And his answer was, would you rather me be like Miguel and tell you lies? Oh, they asked Cuco why his DNA and Marta's would be in Miguel's bedroom. He said that he was there all the time. It was like a second home to him. It'd be like asking why his DNA was at his house, which is kind of fair, but okay. Interesting. The prosecution included that Cuco had admitted four different times to police that him and Samuel had assisted in Miguel in getting rid of Marta's body and that Francisco Javier was also there. They included that Francisco Javier had threatened him following these statements and they asked him now why he had retracted those statements and his answer was that he was pressured by police. And the court did call Francisco Javier back up to comment about the accusations from Cuco of threats he'd made. And Francisco Javier testified, testified that he'd never threatened anyone. I mean, of sure. course he'd say that. Cuco says that he couldn't have been at Leon 13 because at 11.10 he arrived home and cell phone data does support this because he sent a message at this time at his home. But the prosecution asks, well, what did you do after that? He says he went to sleep. The prosecution asked if he went out again, and Kuko answered, Not that I remember because I was asleep. That's a weird, <laughs> that's a weird answer. I don't remember because I was sleeping. <laughs> and cell phone records showed that he was not at home at 1210, but showed him in an area called Avenida San Francisco Javier. The prosecution asked him if he could have been there at this time, his answer was, I don't think so. Dude, what? And they also asked him where he was at this time. And he said, at home. Sure. But there's literal proof that you weren't home because your phone pinged somewhere else entirely. Kuko was found guilty of concealment and was sentenced to three years in juvenile detention and one year supervision after his release. They allowed him to use his previous time as part of his sentence. So he had only... He had less than a year left to serve. Damn. The family was upset by this. They did not feel that this was enough for his part of the murder. And the judge sympathized with the family, but evidence could not support any more of his involvement. The family worried that this outcome would tell them what to expect, expect out of the other trial. That there may not be true justice for Marta. The second trial was for all the adults involved in the murder of Marta del Castillo. Miguel faced charges of rape, murder, as well as crimes against moral integrity and corpse discretion. Also charged was Francisco Javier, his girlfriend Marcia Garcia Mandaro, and Samuel Benitez. They were all charged with concealment of a crime, corpse discretion, and crimes against moral integrity. And Francisco Javier was additionally charged for making threats. The prosecution went off Miguel's last statements as to what happened the night of Marta's death that him and Cuco had raped her, Miguel had killed her, and Samuel had come to dispose of the body. But they also added that Francisco Javier and his girlfriend had come back to the apartment sometime after midnight and were also involved in the disposal and cleanup of the murder. The prosecution asked for a 52-year sentence for Miguel, 
which is not long enough. No. They asked for eight years for Francisco Javier, five Way years for Samuel. They also requested that the four adults involved would all compensate for money spent on the searches for Marta, as well as compensate Marta's parents and sisters for their loss. They also asked for a no contact between Samuel and the family for six years following his sentencing. In court, they asked Miguel what had happened the night of January 24th, 2009. He said that him and Marta were arguing because she wanted him to leave Rocio. He kind of trips over his words saying he was filled with nerves and emotions and ended up hitting her with an ashtray. She fell to the floor and he got scared as there was blood coming from her head and she wasn't moving. He went to the bathroom and got a blood pressure monitor and he used it on Marta and she did not have a pulse. He said he didn't know what to do, but Cuco arrived shortly after and he had Cuco call Samuel. Cuco couldn't find his cell phone or some excuse, so he went outside to use a payphone. Samuel arrived shortly after. Miguel stated that they took her in the wheelchair straight to, quote, the car. I think he's referring to Samuel's car because he stated this shortly after saying Samuel had arrived by car to the apartment. He says that he did not know where Cuco and Samuel took Marta that he stayed at home and cleaned. Yeah, right. The prosecution asked about the statement he made implicating Cuco, saying that Cuco took part in the murder. They asked why he'd made that previous statement because it contradicted what he's saying now. His answer was that Cuco had accused his brother, Francisco Javier, and to get back at him, he implicated him to more crimes. I think Miguel has a lot of loyalty to his brother. Oh, which absolutely. Is why he's That's why he's minimizing. in none of his story at all. Yeah. He said, now that the rape was a lie, and so was everything about the knife, that they threatened Mar- that they hadn't actually threatened Marta with a knife. Although they did find the knife in the sewer, so somehow it must be involved. Right. And he asked, Cuco asked his mom about the knives. Yeah. And she was like, don't talk about that. They asked Miguel why he told so many stories about what had happened to Marta. And his answer was because he truly didn't know where Marta was. That's not a reason to change your story a thousand times. That's not a reason to change, like, what actually killed her. Yeah. Even if you didn't know where she was, like, your story would stay the same. Yeah, you can still tell... Because you've already confessed to killing her. Why don't you just tell her how you actually killed her? Right. Unless you're protecting your brother. True. The prosecution asked if he intended to kill Marta when he killed her. And his answer was no. Of course it was. And he ended by saying that all he knows is that he hit her, but he did not take her body out of the house and he did not know where she was. So Miguel's defense was... A reckless homicide as a result of Miguel hitting, hitting Marta with the ashtray during an argument and killing her on accident. They were asking for a sentence of three years for Miguel, which he'd already served, so he would have been released immediately. Samuel spoke next in court, stating that Miguel's statement of Samuel's involvement was a total lie. Samuel testified that he'd lied originally and that police had pressured him physically hit him and threatened him by saying if he did not incriminate himself, they would go after his parents. I'm going to say just, so we'll say we believe Samuel 
it is a real thing that police pressure individuals into incriminating themselves. Oh, it's happened absolutely. many, many times. Many, many times. And they with mm. and with a case as high profile as this, I could imagine that's possible. It could have happened. But I mean, I still think Samuel was involved in the cleanup. But I kind of think maybe Miguel, for example, implicated Samuel more in place of someone else, like his brother. Mm-hmm. And Samuel wants to claim his complete innocence that he had nothing to do with the disposal. So he can't say, oh, no, that was Francisco Javier that did that part or else he's admitting to having been been there. Yeah. But a doctor who worked for the prison testified in court to treating Samuel when he arrived after his statements to police. And he did report that Samuel had a bruise on his right arm and noted that there was swelling and edema. There was no evidence that Samuel had been there. No messages on his cell phone could place him at the Leon 13 apartment. And there was no DNA to implicate him being there. There was kind of zero evidence against Samuel. The only thing that ever incriminated him was his own statements. And of course, Miguel's statements that he'd helped. Hmm. That's weird that he would place himself there. Yeah. And so you kind of start to second guess it like maybe Samuel was as like innocent maybe the police did pressure him and like abuse him into giving this statement uh the court asked Samuel about the call Eva made to him checking to see if he'd heard from Marta and according to him he did not get any calls that night okay. but they have phone records yeah they could see that Eva called him at eleven thirty-four that night and He'd said on the phone that Marta was with Miguel until midnight, and this was at 11.34. Police also had another phone call against him. Earlier at 9.24 p.m., he had received a phone call from a payphone outside of Leon 13 apartment. T- yeah. Samuel did admit to this call. He said he received a call from Cuco at this time, but he didn't know from where. He said Cuco told him he was out drinking in a park and had asked him to come to Sevilla so they could hang out and Samuel could stay over at Cuco's house. That was his excuse for that phone call. Okay. In the documentary, Eva believes that in this phone call, Cuco told Samuel of what he just witnessed about Marta. And we'll go with that because... Maybe Samuel didn't involve himself with much of the cleanup, but this phone call was placed and Cuco probably would have told Samuel what just happened, which proves Samuel is lying. So I think it's also it's like both are true. Like it's very possible police could have abused him um, to confess, but also you're involved somehow. Yeah, somehow like, you're entangled evidence. in this. Yeah. That you received a call from a phone call outside the apartment while or right after Marta was murdered. Yeah, like you're so involved you somehow. knew you w- you knew she was dead. Yeah. And yet you still chose to go out and go searching for her that night with her family. Yeah, that's just ugh. it's so gross and I d- jail for being a shitty person. Maria spoke in court saying that Francisco Javier had given her keys to the Leon 13 apartment at 11.30 p.m. According to her, this was the only time she'd ever gone to the apartment alone. Although, actually, she was at the apartment by herself the next day when the police showed up. So that's kind of a lie. 
Everyone's just making some shit up now. What the hell? They asked her if she'd heard the knock on the window at 1230 from Antonio. And she said she didn't hear anything. And she also said that she had the living room light on while she was studying. And yet no one saw any lights on in the apartment. Ooh. They asked her where Marta del Castillo's body was. And her answer was, I don't know. The next to testify was Francisco Javier. And I haven't mentioned this yet because Francisco Javier was family. He was protected if he participated in any kind of cover-up of his brother's crime. That there's families protected somehow. Yeah. Basically, he can't really get in trouble for knowing about the crime and not saying anything or even helping to cover it up because he's family. That's weird. It is weird. According to Francisco Javier, that night at about 8.30, Miguel arrived home with Marta, but he doesn't really talk about her in these statements. About the same time, he'd called Maria back after he'd missed a call from her. The court asked him if it was true that he placed three calls to Maria during this time. Javier Francisco said, I don't really remember, but you have that information in the call logs. Okay. One of the calls he made while leaving the house was while leaving the house, and he told Maria that she could stay and study and that it wouldn't be a bother to Miguel because he wouldn't be there long anyways. A friend of Marta's also testified, and this is a close friend of Marta who we haven't talked about yet. Her name is Christina. She called Marta that night, and according to her, the first time she called, the phone just rang. And then the second time, someone hung up on her. And then the third time, the phone call had been switched off. It's believed that this means Marta could have already been dead at this point, because Miguel did admit at some point to Marta's phone ringing and him turning off the call. Oh. So the court believes that Marta must have been dead by the second call, which happened at 8.20, and that's why Miguel hung up the phone. Jeez. So according to Francisco Javier's phone, he was at the apartment at this time. Oh. Meaning that he was either a witness to the murder or took part in it, or he was there when it happened in another room. One of those versions. Yeah. According to Francisco Javier, he'd left the house shortly after Miguel and Marta had arrived at 8.30 p.m. This is all getting confusing, I know. No, it's okay. <laughs> the prosecution thinks they'd already been there and that she may have already been dead, though. But Francisco Javier says he left and took a bus to his ex-wife's house to spend time with his daughter. He stayed there roughly for two, two and a half hours until 11.30 after that, he went to the pub at around 11.45. Uh, in this pub, he actually owned. And the court asked if any customers had come in between the hours of 1.30 a.m. and 3 a.m. And he said, I don't know, but it'd probably be in the till receipts. Receipts show that during that time, the bar had made 25 euros. And the court asked him, isn't that a little odd? That's such a low number for a bar in Sevilla on a Saturday night. His answer was, it was really slow at that bar, and it was kind of a disaster. But since they have Francisco Javier's phone bugged, they were able to listen, listen in onto calls he made with his employees on all these different nights, saying they'd made hundreds and hundreds of euros on this night, and then another night they made 
several hundred euros. So this bar was popping. Like, it wasn't making 25 euros in those yeah, hours. Yeah, one night. Yeah. Girl, why are you lying? Another thing that contradicted his statements of being there until 3 a.m., the alarm for the bar was set at 12.47 a.m. And Francisco Javier said it was impossible that anyone could have been at the bar when the alarm was set or it would go off. So they asked him then, how was the alarm set if you were still there until 3 a.m.? And he says, I don't know. Oh, Doesn't my have God. have an answer for that one. Oh. An employee also testified saying that it was possible to change times on receipts, which could account for the 25 euros that was made during the time of like 1 to 3 a.m. He could have just faked those. Weird. They also looked back to the security camera outside the home of his ex-wife and saw that a man that looked a lot like Francisco Javier left the apartments at 9.15, only 20 minutes after he'd arrived. It's believed that it's Francisco Javier. It can't be proven because the footage is really grainy. Um, So it's really likely that Francisco Javier, to build an alibi, went to his ex-wife, also went by the bar, but only stayed at these places for a short period of time. Not as long as he said. So Rocio testified, and this testimony makes a lot of sense. I almost believe it could be pretty close to what really happened. She said that Miguel had told her that him and his brother had gotten into an argument with Marta and murdered her. Together, they cleaned the murder scene and went with, quote, two others to a wooded area in Camas to dispose of Marta. Two others would have been Cuco and Samuel. Mm -hmm. She stated that her previous inconsistencies were because she had been threatened. She stated that he'd returned to the home early the next morning and had later taken her to the wooded area and pointed out and at the time she wasn't sure if he was lying or not i guess about the location Rosia's mother also spoke at the trial and she believed that miguel had killed marta and his friends and brother had cleaned up the crime on january 16th 2012 miguel corcano was sentenced to 20 years in prison as well as to compensate 340,000 euros to the Del Castillo family for the murder. Miguel was acquitted of all other charges. That's crazy. Yeah, it blows me away. Only 20 (sighs) years. What the fuck? And due to lack of evidence, everyone else was acquitted for their charges. Oh my god. Only Miguel and Cuco served time. Miguel served... His sentencing, Miguel's sentencing was actually later changed. He was given an additional year and three months, and then he was fined also for the cost of the searches for Marta, which was a total of 616,319 euros. And then Cuco had maybe less than a year left in prison. It blows my mind that his brother, the brother, was not in jail at all right blows my mind yes the police even with this conviction the police were still unsatisfied and so was all of spain but there was no body and all these witnesses and participants of a crime were still walking free so they went to miguel in prison in april of 2013 and miguel gave them a new seventh version of the story 
Miguel says he was at the Leon 13 apartment with Marta and Francisco Javier. He says that him and Francisco Javier were hanging laundry when they began to fight over the mortgage bill. Francisco Javier was angry that he that Miguel wasn't paying his part of the bill. And Francisco Javier began hitting Miguel and becoming really violent. So Miguel ran from him. He wanted to leave the apartment. Marta tried to help Miguel by getting between them, and Francisco Javier pulled out a gun and hit Marta multiple times in the head with the butt of the gun, and Marta fell, and she was dead. After that, Francisco Javier asked Miguel to give him a ride to his ex-wife's house where Francisco Javier borrowed his ex's car and brought it back to Leon 13 apartment. He says while they were there dealing with the body of Marta, the door rang and Miguel had opened it without thinking. And it was Cuco. He walked in. He saw Marta dead on the floor. And he saw Francisco Javier. And he ran, apparently. Just ran from the scene. So the brothers let him go. They continue. And they put Marta in the wheelchair and took her out to the car. One drove the car. One drove the motorcycle. And they went and dumped Marta in a ditch somewhere. He wasn't super specific about where exactly. He gave them a general area to look in. They looked everywhere near that area and couldn't find her. Miguel said that he'd not stated his brother's involvement earlier because he was scared of his brother. Francisco's answer to what he thought of this statement was basically that it was just another version of the story that Miguel was telling and it was just lies. And he said, it hurts to know that you grew up with someone and lived with someone who would do something so bad. And then he says, I'm not talking about what he did to Marta. I'm talking about the lies he told me. What the fuck? He says that in the documentary. Oh my god. I was like, what the fuck? Heartless ass bitch. Antonio del Castillo visited Miguel in prison asking where Marta was again. But Miguel didn't tell him. I think he's giving little bits of the truth in each story. Yeah. But definitely not sharing the whole thing. Miguel told him that he didn't know where Marta was and now said that his brother had gotten rid of her by himself. He said that Francisco Javier had taken Marta in his ex-wife's car to dispose her, that he threatened Miguel to go with them. However, Miguel didn't want any part of disposing Marta. He also stated that it was likely Francisco Javier had gone back to dig her up and bury her elsewhere, which honestly I could believe no matter who was involved in disposing her, maybe it was Cuco and Samuel, maybe it was Miguel and whoever, any combination of them, but I think it's very likely that Francisco Javier knew where she was buried and maybe moved her. I agree. Yeah. Probably multiple times, too. Could be, yeah. He said that the reason he changed his story so many times was at the advice of his brother. Yeah. And I'm going to say, if Francisco Javier is as smart as he's pretending to be and maybe he is a little smart because he's managed to avoid getting caught for this he could have been further implicating his brother on purpose by telling his brother to change his story all these different times to make his brother look way more suspicious about the crime and no one believe anybody anything he says anyways and then francisco javier always stuck to his story at least to police in the court he never changed his story so he, the whole time he's just making his brother look way more suspicious, but also pretending to be there for his brother and looking out for him. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. He seems like he is to be blamed for most of this. So before Antonio left, talking to Miguel in prison, 
Miguel shared with him about some mortgage and money issues that his brother had. They had inherited the apartment from their mother, but struggled to pay the mortgage. So eventually, Francisco Javier took out a second mortgage on the house under Miguel. He faked documents pretending that Miguel was employed when he wasn't. And this was something Miguel would have taken the fall for because these documents were fake but were in his name. And Francisco Javier did admit that him and his brother did have conversations about the mortgage not being paid. But he said it didn't go how his brother said. He said he didn't hit him or get violent with him. And it certainly didn't happen on the 24th is what he says. Dude, I'm so tired of these people just lying. I know, all the they time. just continue to lie. I'm just like, I can't believe this shit. This documentary goes into more stuff. I just, I, this case gets so deep, and there's like so much information to it that, like I said, I don't even know if I said it on this episode or if I told Emily outside of it that they could literally make an entire series on this case and like super deep dive into it because there's just so much to it yeah dude this is insane like i'm not even including a ton of stuff a ton more witnesses a ton more just a lot more going on in the case i'm somehow only giving you a brief interview a brief overview (laughs) and this episode's been like 10 years long it's insane no i know this is like the absolute like most complicated case i think we've covered yeah, yet I'm so sorry no it's okay i don't honestly think i bad. wish i feel like i should have been more prepared for it i don't know no you're doing great thank you so i kind of think that francisco javier is the mastermind of this and i think miguel is incredibly loyal to his brother i think either miguel or francisco javier could have killed marta probably miguel and they got Samuel and Kuko to help dispose of the body or the cleanup. Even maybe while they cleaned up the apartment. But I think Francisco Javier knew where Marta was buried. And he moved it at some point. That's what I think. Because I think that's why I don't think Miguel knows where Marta is. Yeah. I wonder if they did like polygraphs. I'm not sure. I don't know. It's, I actually it's don't interesting know. Because, like, the amount of times that they've all changed their stories, like, you would think maybe they would administer a polygraph just to, like, lead in the direct, like, some sort of direction of the truth. Yeah. And I don't, no one knows Maria, Kuko, and Sam's role in this. I think they were involved, but I also believe that last story a lot with the brothers being mainly involved and it yeah. them arguing almost I don't know that seems very possible to me I agree I think the brothers were mostly to blame I think they involved all these other people kind of on purpose yeah to like to throw the investigation off absolutely. to distract police to drag it out to hurt this family like the amount of pain the family had to go through to be constantly told a new version of events and not know because originally they thought she died from the ashtray that it was instant yeah. and Antonio even went to his wife Eva 
and told like when he told her that Marta was dead, he like reassured her like don't worry she didn't suffer. Yeah. But then afterwards, there were all these version of events that she could have been raped, that she could have been strangled to death. <sighs> yeah. I know. So to put that family through that is super disgusting. It's horrible. Oh, it makes me so sad for the family. That's just yeah. They have gone through so much. And it's a really, really sad case. No matter how, which way you spin it, no matter which version of the story is true. Either Marta way, she did not get Del justice. Castillo, yeah, her life was taken away. And everybody that was involved in it is walking free. Almost everybody. I feel really awful for their family. And I hope they get justice someday. I hope somehow someone finally leads her leads police to her body god me too yeah and wow that was a big case i'm sorry that was just so i just talked the whole time i don't even think i really gave you a chance to speak or react to things because it was all just like here's all the information no i was reacting yeah you were (laughs) reacting for sure Jeez, wow and yeah that's that's that case. I was not expecting that when Mart or when s- shit when Sonia told me about this case. I really wasn't expecting it. Yeah, that's insane. To be this big. That's very complex and yes. deep, and just has so many twists and turns, and just I don't know. I just really hope that soon they find her body and can finally have her rest. Me too. But yeah. Thank you. If you listen this far, thank you yeah. for sticking it out. So, stay safe. I, well, oh, hold on. Sorry. I <laughs> kind of want to add this. Yes. If you listen this far, I want you to go to our Instagram on the post of this episode. Yeah. And comment a word. And then we'll give you a shout out in the next episode for making it through. What word? I don't know. Um, oh, what I say? Riddler. 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 R I D D L E R. Riddler. Yeah. And we'll give you a shout. And we'll give you a shout in the next episode. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. Thanks. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought of it. I was like, this is a long episode. I want to see if you listen this far. If you really, are, if you really are a fan of Strange and Sinister, okay. Yes. <laughs> then you made it this far. You suffered through Sarah telling you this story. <laughs> no. And with that, stay safe, stay strange, and we'll see you in the next one. <laughs>